now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. What's up, listeners? I am your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow listener Jason Kleberg, and this is Force 5, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. The year was 1990. Everybody thought they were totally rad. Neon-colored parachute pants, zebra-print spandex, big hair, shoulder pads, they ruled the land. The Simpsons and Seinfeld premiered. The A's got killed by the Reds in the World Series. Sorry, Sean. Well, across the bay, the Niners capped off their 1989 season with a Super Bowl win in late January, and everybody was listening to Vanilla Ice. 1990 was also an interesting year in film. Kathy Bates won Best Actress in a crowded field that featured Angelica Houston, Julia Roberts, and Meryl Streep for her role as Annie Wilkes in Misery, while Jeremy Irons won Best Actor in Barbet Schroeder's Reversal of Fortune. Dances with Wolves snagged Best Picture, and Kevin Costner got a statue for directing it. Dick Tracy, The Hunt for Red October, Flatliners, Edward Scissorhands, Godfather 3 are just some of the films that came out in what looking back, appeared to be a really weird and varied year for cinema. And of course, we're going to get to more of that when me and Dan Kinnam from VH Shitfest talk about our picks today. Also, I wanted to mention real quick that back when we recorded this, Dan couldn't air what was coming out not knowing exactly when this would air, but his documentary, Adjust Your Tracking, The Untold Story of the VHS Collector, which he co-directed with Levi Paradic, just released on his label VH Shipfest, which you can get through Vinegar Syndrome's website right now. Over 100 collectors, filmmakers, producers, and video store owners express how VHS changed their lives as Dan and Levi take you back to the video store. It's got three commentaries, extended interviews with collectors like the fucking angry video game nerd, deleted scenes, and more. And as I write this, there are still slipcovered copies available for those into the slipcover game. Shout out to my boy Pita Beta, the slipcover king over there at the Middle Class Film Class podcast. I'm going to put a link to adjust your tracking in the show notes. Go support Dan. Go support VH Shitfest. I think that after you hear him talk about his VHS collection here in a little bit, you're going to want to know more. All right, before we get into the show proper, I do want to take a second to remember the actor Alan Arkin. I was really surprised. My buddy Paul sent me an RIP text a couple of days ago in the morning, and I was I was pretty surprised. Uh, look, I know the dude was getting old. I think he was like 89 when he died, but you'd never expect to see that. Arkin was an amazing actor. He had a fantastic on-screen presence, so many great roles in both comedic and dramatic films, and it's hard to narrow his filmography down to just five films, but if I was forced to, I'd say in no particular order, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, gotta be on there from 1992. I thought his role in Little Miss Sunshine against so many great actors in that movie was fantastic, 2006. Freebie and the Bean, which I'm going to talk about here in a couple of episodes from 1976, is amazing. Simon from 1980, if you want an Arkin role where he is the main character, Simon's a great one to watch. And of course, getting more recent, Argo from uh, 2012. I think Ben Affleck directed him really well in that film. So those are the five that I would recommend. Uh, what does the title refer to? 
the Argo. It's, you know, it's the thing. Like Jason and the Golden Fleece, or what? No, no, it's the ship. It's the it's a spaceship. It goes, it goes everywhere. It goes all, all throughout space. So it's the Argonaut. No. What, what does Argo mean? I don't know. You don't know? It means Argo fucked itself. Okay, the last show that we did, Top 5 Bad Dads with Kiefer Lorette from Select and Start. And the internet, of course, had no trouble telling us what we missed. Not in the top five. Did they get it right? Excuse my language. Okay. Hell no. <laughs> I can't believe. Who, who made that list? Who made that? That's blasphemous. Don't look at me. That's blasphemous. Over on Facebook, there were some really good ones. Uh, Eric Holmes from Cinematics gave an interesting one. He said, Mogwai are asexual, but Gizmo was instrumental killing all of his children in two movies. So I think they qualify as a bad parent. Hey, who's going to argue that? Andrew Dykstra said, Dermot Mulroney and Angels in the Outfield. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that one, but definitely qualifies. Joe Bridges, Joseph Bridges said, as much as I like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Roy, who chooses to leave his kids and wife to gallivant around the universe just because, seems like a terrible dad thing to do that's 100% going to cause abandonment issues later. That's a great pick. Didn't even think of that one. Uh, Andrew Dykstra also said the place between the pines. Uh, Joe Bridges also said the Stepfather series, which I think I mentioned during the show. Ryan Smith, Darth Vader, Eric Holmes, another one. He said uh, Jack Torrance from The Shining. Sure, he went nuts, but he wasn't a great dad before that either. Ken Cunningham said the dad from Happiness gets the gold. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I forget the actor's name off the top, but man, what a great performance. Matt Stillman, Robert Duvall in The Great Santini. Excellent performance. Terrible father. Friend of the show, Bruce Perky, said the dad of the main character in Peeping Tom was pretty terrible, as well as the dad from Frailty. Yeah, that's a fucking bad dad. Peter Beta, Daniel Plainview, oscillates between good and bad dad over and over throughout the whole runtime of There Will Be Blood. And then Stephen Primio, Primao, Primao, you got to tell me how to pronounce that, said the dad from Psycho Gorman, terrible and hilarious. Yeah, that, is, that, that actually is a really good one. Over on Twitter, Jackson Boren uh, had a really interesting pick for this. He said Clark W. Griswold from the Vacation series. And at first I was like, whoa, he seems like such a good dad. But on the other hand, while his intentions are good, eh, he's, he's probably really doing some damage to those kids. I mean, just Christmas Vacation alone. What a fucking miserable December they had. The film B, she said Daniel Plainview as well. Kevin the Critic said Timmy Turner's dad. The Jacked Up Review Show podcast said Denny Crane. The 80s Cinema Club podcast said it'd have to be Mr. Baskin in Big from 1988. His son disappears for months and barely looks for him. And then Liam at the Movies said James Coburn as Glenn Whitehouse in Affliction. Utterly horrible bastard. That's one that I haven't seen, but uh, you know I know the VHS cover, so I gotta eventually get to that one. He's, he highly recommends it, so Affliction. If you want to get on the show, you want to get your comment read on the show, you got to go to the Cinematics Facebook page or you got to go to Twitter for now. Who knows how long this fucking boat's going to last before it sinks. But uh, I'm going to ask this question. And if you give me a cool answer, I'm going to put it on the show at Force 5 Pod on Twitter, Force 5 Podcast on the uh, Cinematics Facebook page. You know where to find me. You know where to play. Speaking of playing, I got a real interesting mail drop the other day. I've got the uh, Arrow video. Enter the video store, Empire of Screams box set. This was an interesting one because this thing went out of print before it even shipped. I don't know how limited this was, 
because I don't think they ever released a, a count of how many they were producing. But by the time it was hitting people's mailboxes, you could no longer order it. So if you didn't pre-order it, you were just screwed. Luckily, I did pre-order it. It comes with five old school VHS classics, all on Blu-ray, all newly remastered. It comes with Dungeon Master, Dolls, Cellar Dweller, Robot Jocks, which have all been released before on different Blu-rays, although they've never looked this good. And then the fifth one is one that has never been on disc as far as I know, and that's Arena from 1989. On the edge of our galaxy, there is a battleground where alien warriors compete for the ultimate prize. I am champion! Will a human do battle in the arena? Now where is the challenger? where humans have lost. You ever thought about the arena, Steve? It ain't gonna work, this guy's a human. What it takes to win. You're talking about arena fighting. It's not for me. I had seen, God, I think I'd seen Cellar Dweller before. I think I'd seen Robot Jocks. I don't think I've ever seen Dolls. I know I haven't seen Dungeon Master, but I damn sure know I never saw Arena. So Arena, the one that had never been on disc, is the one that I threw in first. And this one says, Tonight, man versus monster in a championship grudge match. For a thousand years, no human has been the champion. He wants to be the first. Charles Band is well known in genre circles as a prolific producer who churned out films on the cheap. He ran Empire Pictures and now Full Moon Features, and he also had his own home video wings in both Media Home Entertainment and Wizard Video, the latter ending up also releasing titles under Force Video, Lightning Video, Cult Video, probably some other labels. Chances are, if you were renting low-budget sci-fi, comedy, horror, or foreign stuff with lurid video box art in the 80s at your local video store, Charles Band had a hand in it. He also had a habit of selling foreign distributors films that weren't even made yet. So what he'd do, and I don't know if this is like, it's probably a combination of really shitty and really sly, but he'd, uh, he'd pay people a couple hundred bucks for a great film title, and then he'd have a poster made for the film title, and then he'd take the poster to people overseas at film festivals and stuff, wherever people were buying titles, and he'd sell the international rights to a film that they thought existed but didn't actually exist yet, and then he'd come back to America, assign some writers to whip up a script, and then they'd shoot the thing in typically less than a month, although some were done in under a week. Needless to say, for every hit in Band's filmography, like Trancers, there are 20 films like Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death, and Arena started as one of those titles. It was sold on the strength of a poster that featured wrestling in space, so that's what the writing team of Danny Bilson and Paul DeMio were assigned with. They soon ditched the wrestling aspect and instead set out to make a tongue-in-cheek parody of 1930s boxing films like Body and Soul, but in space. And their script was completed in the mid-80s, but was never made. And then the pair ended up getting a deal to write for WB in the 1991 Flash TV show, and then went over to Disney to do The Rocketeer. In the meantime, Arena was produced at Empire Pictures Studio in Rome, but the script those dudes wrote had been hacked to pieces despite their credit in the final film, and what's left is not nearly what they had envisioned. The film is your classic underdog boxer story set in the year of 4038. Okay, this is like way in the future. 
There's a human cook on this space station named Steve. Yes, they're still using the name Steve in 4038, the one holdout from our current times. That's great. Steve has had dreams of becoming a champion in the arena, which appears to be the international sport of choice in the future, which we soon find out is just two guys trading sloppy punches until one guy gets back behind a line on the ground. The thing is, with bigger, stronger alien races from around the galaxy, humans haven't been able to compete in a while. It's been over a thousand years if the poster is to be believed, or like 40 years if the movie is to be believed because Steve runs into another human champion at one point and the dude's definitely under 65. Either way, humans are a joke in the arena world and Steve has all but given up hope. That is, until he knocks out one of the top fighters after a disagreement in the lunch line. Long story short, he's forced into fighting and it turns out he's pretty good at it. Standing in his way is Rogor, the foil of the story, a guy with silver face paint and a stupid-ass haircut who still gets chicks and sponsors Horn, the alien to beat. When Steve declines an offer to fight for Rogor, he finds himself in the crosshairs of the boss, who will stop at nothing, including cheating, in order to stop the human from becoming the arena champion. Peter Manoogian directed this film. He did a few for Band, including Eliminators in 1986 and Enemy Territory in 1987, which is a film about an insurance salesman who gets trapped in an apartment building hunted by a gang, featuring Jan Michael Vincent, Tony Todd, Stacey Dash, and Ray Parker Jr. I've been dying to see that one, but nobody has ever released it on anything outside of VHS, and I gotta see this. Now, I've never seen a film directed by Manusian before. This film certainly doesn't make me want to seek out his other works, aside from Enemy Territory. The camera work just feels really bland, and the way the fight scenes are shot is pathetic. On the other hand, the real standout here are the costumes and makeup effects developed by John Carl Buechler. Every scene has a melting pot of different alien races. Think like um, Star Wars, like the cantina scene, but in every scene here. And I knew this was a band film, so I was going in expecting cheap rubber masks, but Arena is quite the opposite. Everything looks great. Eyelids close, ears are moving. It was really impressive. And even if you think you're unfamiliar with the name John Carl Buechler, you've probably seen his work. He did effects on films like Friday the 13th Part 2, Hatchet, Halloween 4, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator, and many more. There are also rumors that Screaming Mad George helped out with some of this, which would not surprise me at all. Outside of the makeup, the sets are mostly lifeless, although I got a huge kick when it gives a wide shot of the arena itself and the crowd is clearly a miniature stadium filled with posed G.I. Joes. It just adds this really fun camp feel to the whole film. The cast, the cast here doesn't seem to know what kind of film they're in, although it probably wasn't their fault. If Danny Bilson is to be believed, the film took out all of the comedic elements of his script, leaving what started as a parody of 1930s boxing films without the ever-important element of parody. If the film was cheesier and had a more charismatic, say like Arnold Schwarzenegger type in the lead role, this thing could have been a whole lot of fun. Instead, we get Paul Satterfield in the lead role, a cross between Ben Affleck and Christopher Reeve, who forgot to put their experience points into charisma when they were building their character. You also get a few Star Trek Deep Space Nine actors in here, and Babylon 5's Claudia Christian for the 90s sci-fi nerds. Hamilton Camp plays the four-armed version of Burgess Meredith as Mickey, who has twice the arms and is somehow twice as annoying. 
Rounding out the cast is Jude the Space Whore, played by the gorgeous Sherry Shattuck. Now this film is PG-13, so you don't get much, but if you want to see her bear it all, she does so in 1994's Point of Seduction, Body Chemistry 3. So is Arena worth watching? This is tough to say. While the costumes bring the A-game, the rest of the film is kind of a chore. It's missing the comedic cheese that would have kicked this up a notch, but even without the comedy, it could have been way more entertaining with a lead who had martial arts experience or at least well-shot fight scenes. It's also going to be nearly impossible to see at the moment. Like I said, this box set, Enter the Video Store Empire of Screams is out of print, and Arena so far is not being sold separately, although I do have to assume that Arrow's going to piece these out at some point. If you want to see it right now, though, if you want this box set, it's probably going to cost you around 130 bucks or more to get a new one. Then again, you do get some really fun Empire pictures. You get Robot Jocks, Dolls, Cellar Dweller, and the Dungeon Master, which may be the next one that I throw in here. As for the Blu-ray... This, like I said, is the first time it's been on disc, and while it was remastered from the 35mm negatives, they were in eh, not great shape. Most of the text is off-center on the print, and the disclaimer before the film explains that they did the best with the materials that they had. Overall, the picture looks good, although there are some print tears and some artifacts here and there. Uh, it was never like distracting enough to bother me. The sound was great, although the song Jade Sings in the Club sounds like nails on a chalkboard. But again, not really the fault of our sound engineers, just a really, really bad song. There is a commentary on here, you get a John Carl Buechler retrospective, and you get an interview with the uh, main writer, which is hilarious. Uh, Danny Bilson is the one interviewed, and he really just talks about how this film has no resemblance to what he wrote originally and kind of shits on the, the process of getting this thing made. It's a really interesting interview, even if it's not like... Uh, it doesn't give you a whole lot of context of what you saw on screen, but it certainly gives some backstory about how he was kicked off the project and went on to other things before it was made. All right, before we get to Dan Kinnam from VH Shitfest to talk top five films of 1990, we gotta go to our sponsor. Telemericorp Music presents Manergy Crisis, the new record for Manergy. The songs are hot, but the Manergy is cool. Manergy Crisis includes tracks like She Dips Beneath Lasers featuring Wizard, Party Gods, Hungry Like the Wolf Dog, We're Banging Aliens, Really Tight Butthole, and more. This deluxe collector's edition is not sold in stores and can be yours for just $19.95 on cassette or just $24.95 on compact disc. Here's how to order. To order Energy Crisis, call 1-800-615-0099 or send $19.95 for cassette or $24.95 for CD plus $5.95 shipping and handling to Menergy, P.O. Box 1111, Rancho Cucamonga, California 90219. Allow three to six weeks for delivery. All right, let's talk to Dan Kinnam, top five films of 1990. 
Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. If you are a Blu-ray collector, you may have heard my guest on Friend of the Show, Disconnected's podcast, or Just the Discs. I've got VHS collector Dan Kinnam, director of Adjust Your Tracking, the untold story of the VHS collector, as well as the founder of VH Shitfest, or as uh, or VHS Hitfest, as Vinegar Syndrome would like you to be called, a company uncovering the weirdest, most obscure VHS finds and putting them out on terrific Blu-ray packages. Dan, how's it going this afternoon? <laughs> Good. Thanks for having me. Before we get into our topic today, I want to talk a little bit about like VHS collecting and that kind of culture. Tell us about VHS Hitfest or VH Shitfest. What do you want me to call it? VH Shitfest? Yeah, that's what I like. Cool. <laughs> Uh, tell us a little bit about VH Shipfest and uh, how it how you got your start and and where you're at now. Okay, well, uh, back in college, um, me and my friend Tim, he uh, went to a college and I went to a separate college, and then I eventually went to the same college as him. The only thing he had in his dorm room was a VCR, and he had like a stack of maybe like five or ten VHS, and um, so that's all we had to watch. And we got the idea to kind of start a blog because at the time I didn't know of any others where they were just reviewing strictly movies on VHS with like a heavy focus on stuff that had never made it to DVD. So we started that on Tumblr and it kind of gained a little bit of, you know, popularity, I guess, a little bit. And then randomly a video store opened up in that college town. And it was a local chain, kind of. But they decided to take all their VHS and put them at this one store, and everything nice. was fi- every yeah, I know everything was fifty cents, I believe. So we would go there like <laughs> every single day, just looking at all the movies and buying up tons and tons of stuff. And that's how it was born. And pretty quickly, it evolved from there into a crazy obsession. At some point, I know you had like thousands of VHS tapes because I remember you saying in one of your videos that you had sold off like 6,000 tapes. How many Mm -hmm. tapes did you have at the height of your collection? Uh, Well, in my collection, that was probably the most and it was probably like 10,000 maybe or a little bit less. But right now, I probably have like 30 something thousand um, tapes at my house. But that's mainly because just recently I bought two full video stores. Um, oh, wow. And then have had, well, I guess you could say maybe like three or four video stores because I forgot about those other ones. But like I have so many tapes right now that I'm going through. and But those aren't in my personal collection necessarily. Those are like a few of those will eventually go in my collection and then the rest will be sold. But I would say I have maybe 4,000 uh, tapes right now. And like it's moved from my movie room. Now I have like basically a second movie room. It's getting a little crazy. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, out of all those tapes, I mean, you've, you've obviously bought and sold tapes for over a decade now. What's mm-hmm. the weirdest VHS tape that you've ever come across? Oh, wow, that's tough. <laughs> there's a there's so many different ones i mean a lot i guess i i like um a lot of the super low budget um like just friends making a movie and then they like made a cover for it and released it and somewhat recently 
now I'm trying to even think of the name. It was like a Blair. <laughs> oh wait, it was a Blair Witch Project ripoff for sure, and I I forget the name. I'm so annoyed. But it was like three friends in New Jersey just went out into the woods <laughs> and like just stayed the night in the woods and like film what was going on and. It was a part two also. That was another funny thing. Like, oh, wow. it seemed like they had already made one, but I, I have no like proof that another one existed. And I've never seen anyone mention it. No other copies. That was a weird one and a fun one too. It's just like three high schoolers filmed a night and released it as Blair Witch Project ripoff, basically. There's so many though. So many weird, just oddball tapes. Definitely some weird like adult stuff oh Some yeah homemade sure. tapes I, i'm it's hard to remember <laughs> what do you what do you think is the rarest tape that you have that has uh like a desire for that people would actually pay a lot of money for if you stuck it up on ebay hmm that's tough i think i've probably said before the like tales from the quad dead zone that there's like two releases of it and both are super rare but the one that i have is a clamshell with like a unique cover that um the actors from the movie drew there's no other like <laughs> i for years and years this came from scarecrow video too one of my favorite video stories and for yeah. years there was no other copies nobody knew of this release um anywhere else and then uh, another well i guess i think is howie pyro he was in danzig for a while he randomly posted on facebook that he had it and then another collector bought it off of him. And then I ended up getting that collector's whole collection. So at oh, one nice. point, I owned both known copies of it. And at the time, I sold it for a ton of money, like a lot of money. And I think it would go for even more now, just because it's so known and popular. Same director as Black Devil Doll from Hell, which also is a popular, like obscure horror movie. So I think that one, just because it's. There's so few copies. It's a known movie. It's crazy. And the cover art's amazing that I could maybe get the most for. But there's some other ones that definitely are up there and probably rarer than that because there's some I have that only one known copy exists. So That's insane. And for listeners, uh, when, when he's saying a lot of money, these go for like thousands of dollars. We're not talking yes. about in the hundreds. We're talking four or five digits here. Yes. That's awesome. There's... Yeah, it's crazy. There was like a rare, super rare Hong Kong movie too that I got more recently. That was the most I ever sold a tape for. And that was um, five, di like that was in the five digits. That was ridiculous. I guess it had never been like available anywhere else. And the person who bought it, I think was eventually going to try and release it, but he couldn't find like a copy of it anywhere. No like print or anything. So he paid up for that one. Wow. I missed that whole wave. I never got into VHS collecting because when VHS was out, that's when I was just kind of like building my library. And then I quickly mm. moved on to DVD. I think yeah. I have one DVD uh, copy of a rare film. It's a Sacramento filmed movie that was put on DVD. I don't think it was ever distributed. The only reason I have it, I think it was called Deer Season when it was put out on DVD. The only reason I have it is because I auditioned for the movie and got a part in it. And then a month later, I never heard back from them. So I gave them a call and they were like, oh, yeah, we got more money and, and we got new producers. And I was like, oh, it's great. And they said, yeah. And we decided to recast the whole thing. 
So, so I was oh, wow. out of it, but uh, I emailed the guy like a year or two later and he's like, yeah, I got a couple DVDs and he, he sent me one, like no barcode or anything like that. Just this weird kind of regional Sacramento oddity. That's awesome. That I buy the like two, but DVDs, I, just like with VHS, I like when it's, you know, basically a homemade DVD, super limited run. Yeah. Of just a weird movie, especially like those early 2000s period, kind of when I was like, a teenager but i like i have a soft spot for those <laughs> yep the purple bottom because you know they were burned by him at, at his house oh yeah the, <laughs> yep. great. well um you're you recently became a vinegar syndrome partner label and i am super excited to see what's in the cards for your library i just picked up my second vh ship fest title justice ninja style oh nice thank you yeah i haven't watched it yet super excited to but uh, i always wait until my best friend comes by to watch the craziest and weirdest stuff with him and this one looks like it's just gonna be a blast so yeah, oh, excited you're gonna love that it's, it's <laughs> one of my favorites it's so fun yeah it seems like it just from the cover alone i mean this regional missouri title that never would have seen the light of day without you so i'm excited to see what what you got coming down the pipe oh yeah so many so many cool things coming up now inclusive of those vhs oddities and everything else you've seen in your life just to give people kind of a, a view into your movie tastes what are some of your favorite films of all time uh, that's a good question um i get well a lot of my favorites probably you wouldn't think i am into vhs really I, my favorite movie is fanny and alexander oh, the wow. bergman movie yeah. um i just worship that movie i feel like it's everything that can be done in a movie just done perfectly six hours amazing from start to finish christmas setting like just the way it looks the little touches of like fantasy elements and little touches of horror too it kind yeah. of reminds me of like sixth sense in a way i love everything about that movie and bergman's one of my favorite directors um so that's my number one and then number two these are all like also, I always have to say they're like favorites. It's not necessarily the movies I think are the best. It, I try and do like a combination of both. And like my number two is Almost Famous. Um, oh, great film. Yes, I love that movie, especially like the untitled version, the like extended. Uh, I went to school for journalism too. So like I just saw it at the perfect time and it just clicked. I still love watching that. The cast is amazing. I love Jason Lee, Kate Hudson, like everyone's great in that movie. Yeah. Also, I, I like that it's, you know, based on a true story. And I love like Cameron Crowe. Fast Times is, you know, a favorite. Absolutely. I'll give two more that are up there. They're, these are, so those are my number one and two. And then I think this is, maybe my next one is like Seven Samurai or something. But I won't even talk about that because everyone knows <laughs> that. I love Lahane. Um Oh, yeah. That, French film. Yes. That movie is just a straight up masterpiece. I feel like it kind of just is the perfect. Well, I, I like that movie and kids. Those are two movies that I feel like blend. I'm like big into rap and like hip hop and just that like street wear kind of like that whole style 90s era. And those two movies are ones I can watch endlessly. I feel like every time I've met someone new, those are two of the first movies I pull out to show them just to get like their reaction and kind of see what their taste is like. I want to see how they react to those two. 
Yeah, Lahane's an interesting one. That one, I remember not really connecting with it when I first saw it because I was on a Vincent Cassell kick and ended up getting that. I think it was on Criterion DVD at the time. And uh, <laughs> I just, I didn't connect with it. I wasn't expecting like a black and white, low budget movie. And I went back a little while later and had a better appreciation for it. Kids is one of those films that is so good, but God damn, it makes me want to take a shower after I watch it. Yeah, it's so grimy. Yes, it is very, very grimy. A lot of times I'll say that's like, I don't even feel like it's one of until well, I guess there's the storyline that's not fun at all to the movie. And then there's like, the, the rest of it, which I feel like is super funny, and fucked up and fun. So it's like, I always say it's one of my like favorite movies to rewatch and like I love it and it's super fun but obviously there's some super you know grimy uh really messed up aspects to the movie that make it not so fun but I feel like it blends the two perfectly and is definitely one of my favorites just a masterpiece that needs a good US Blu-ray I saw there was a foreign one coming out um, that looked good, but yeah, I would love like a Criterion release of that or just something super nice here. Yeah, it does feel strange. That's that's one of those movies that uh, I'm so surprised. That along with some of the John Woo stuff, like Hard Boiled and The Killer, like why haven't these put out been put out? It's got to be some type of rights issue, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. I went to the they did like an anniversary screening of Kids, and they had like. Larry Clark was there, Harmony was there, and like all the cast and everything. And I feel like that would have been a perfect time to release it and just film that, even if you couldn't get a lot of them to talk otherwise or do a commentary or anything, if they would have just filmed that Q&A, that would have pleased enough people. And the screening was shown on 35 millimeters. So if they have a print of it, like it seems like a no-brainer to just do a Blu-ray or a 4K or whatever of it, maybe one day. Dan, when I when I got a hold of you to be on the show, I was it, it always kind of worries me when I invite somebody like yourself onto the show because I was like, oh man, what if he picks something like a topic that's so obscure that I'm gonna have like a lot of trouble coming up with a top five list? <laughs> I'm like, what if he comes up with like top five obscure VHS tapes? I, there's just no way I'm gonna be able to participate. But you sent over top five films of 1990, which I can absolutely participate in. What was the uh, inspiration for your topic? Well, the funny thing about that is you sent over some like examples of what like I could possibly pick. And I feel like your examples were so like kind of obscure and like would have been (laughs) so would have been so hard to think of like specific scenes. I feel like it it's I watch too many movies to like always remember certain things about them but like sure with 1990 that was the year i was born and i feel like it's a lot a lot of the movies on my list and stuff like that are movies i had like my parents had growing up that i would just watch over and over and over again um so i don't know it just holds like a you know special spot in my heart that year and i thought it'd be fun and i was going to do that list before so i had already been thinking about it and then i ended up not doing it but i lost the list that i had (laughs) been i was like working on a list i had like 20 movies uh, written down and like kind of in order and i lost it so i had to redo it before we did this so i don't even know if it's the exact same list i had before but yeah it's a good year and there's 
specifically like my number one movie is a movie I love talking about. So that's another reason I kind of picked it. That's awesome. I went into this kind of along the same lines as you were talking about like some of your favorite movies of all time. My list is definitely not like what I think are the best movies from 1990, Mm -hmm. but they are for sure my favorite movies of 1990. And I've got a big list of honorable mentions too. I'm looking at at least five honorable mentions that hopefully are brought up on your list. But if not, we'll have some time to talk about those at the end. So just to give people like a a landscape of film in 1990, it had some great movies. And because this is a top five list show, just for your sake, the top five grossing movies in 1990 were Ghost, Home Alone, Pretty Woman, Dances with Wolves, and Total Recall. And that list is impressive. Like Home Alone came out in late November and still made almost $500 million. That's Insane. insane. And then... For example, Ghost made over $500 million, and I threw it through a, um inflation calculator, and that's like, in today's money, $900 million, which would have put it at like number four last year between Doctor Strange and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Insane. This is back when a legal thriller like Presumed Innocent could bring over $200 million in. So you could see like film landscape. It was completely different. Yes. But hey, Dan, you ready to get into this list here? Yes, I am. You know what's gonna happen? You know what's happening here right now? I know what's gonna happen. No, no, no. What? You just made the list. So I had a really hard time figuring out how to organize these. My number one was clear, but for my like two through five, I didn't know how to how to rank them. So I just did it by Rotten Tomatoes score. Okay. My first, my number five here was not critically acclaimed at all. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be like, how is this in your favorite movies list? But you know what? I grew up with this movie and I love this movie. It is hard to kill starring Steven Seagal. Wow. Steven Seagal is Detective Mason Storm. They thought they silenced him. Your man's alive, Lieutenant. But Mason Storm... I think you better dial 911. It's hard to kill. Now the climate is right for revenge. That wasn't the time. Now's the time. Steven Seagal, hard to kill, rated R. Starts Friday, February 9th at a theater near you. My dad was a big Steven Seagal fan. And because of that, I was a big Steven Seagal fan. And I I think that everything he did up through Under Siege is really, really entertaining. And to give you an insight into how much I liked Steven Seagal, my very first podcast that we attempted to get off the ground was a Steven Seagal podcast where we would like go through all his movies called uh, Ponytails. And that one was killed because of his human trafficking stuff. We were just like, yeah, we don't really want to do this anymore. I didn't even know about that. I never heard that in my life. Yeah, he's got all kinds of like weird legal issues and terrible issues. He's a terrible person. What the hell? I I did not know that. That's crazy. Oh, there's a great podcast called Behind the Bastards. And if you want a big drink on like how bad of a person Seagal is, listen to their episode. They did a two-parter on Seagal and it is really, really entertaining. But it goes through all this terrible stuff. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'll to listen to that. Yeah, before he was outed as being this terrible dude, he had Hard to Kill, and uh, he stars as Mason Storm, great name. In the beginning of the movie, he's recording a political candidate, Vernon Trent, played by Bill Sadler. He's making this like really shady political deal, 
But it turns out there's cops in on the take and a group of masked assassins come for Storm at his house. They kill his whole family, or so they think. His son gets away out the window and Storm hangs on, lives, and then eight years later snaps out of a coma. And he's got uh, Kelly LeBrock as his nurse. And with her help, he's going to get back in shape and evade the assassins who are after him again. And he's going to get revenge for his wife and expose Trent. It's a really, really entertaining movie. It got a ton of great fight scenes. There's a great uh, liquor store fight scene where in the beginning of this movie, he has a weird preoccupation with the Oscars. Like everything's like, I got to get home and watch the Oscars. I'm late for the Oscars. I need to get this champagne for the Oscars. And uh, so he stops by this this liquor store and gets into a fight there. And it's just, it's so entertaining. It's the one where he's like, I'll, I'll get on my knees. Is it fair now? It's just a really well shot action movie. It had uh, cinematographer Matthew Leonetti who did Commando and Action Jackson. And uh, shit, it's got one of the, one of my favorite lines in movie history where he just, he stabs a pool cue through somebody's neck and he says, that's for my wife. Fuck you and die. And he just kicks him in the face. So hard. For my wife, fuck you and die. It's got great character actor villains, and you know, critics critics did not like this movie, and I can absolutely understand that. I know a lot of people, even action film fans, watch this movie and they're like, I, I don't get it. But again, I grew up with Steven Seagal. I like the way he fights in this movie. He's using people's gravity against them and their mass against them, the way he he uses his Aikido. I find it endlessly entertaining. It's got a pretty bad Blu-ray out, but, you know, it's one that I had to add in my collection. I'm not a Steven Seagal fan anymore, but I still think those first five movies were uh, were, were really good. So that's my number five, Hard to Kill. Nice. Yeah, I have not seen that movie in forever. And like your description of it, I actually need to rewatch that. Sounds great. It's so fun. And the the end, uh, well, I don't want to spoil the end, but I'll just say like, Vernon, Vernon. That's awesome. (laughs) All right, number five for you, my friend. Well, you mentioned it already, and also you mentioned how you're doing favorites, too, and not necessarily the best, and this definitely qualifies in that, and it's Home Alone. Are you here all by yourself? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. What would you do if your parents accidentally left you home alone? Well, how about shopping? Shaving? Cool boys, huh? This is my house. I have to defend it. And good old-fashioned crime fighting. Yes. Home Alone, the new comedy by John Hughes, directed by Chris Columbus, rated PG. Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. That movie is a masterpiece. I watched it so often as a kid. I actually think it was the number one movie the day I was born, too, because oh, yeah. I was born December 16th, 1990. Yep, it would have been for sure. Yes. And as a kid, I kind of looked like Macaulay Culkin, my mom would say, and was a little (laughs) bit uh, that Home Alone and Goonies. I would always do like booby traps and like tie stuff up and try and like trick my parents. So those two movies had a big influence on me. But Home Alone, loved the tape, watched it all the time. I rewatched it maybe three years ago and then watched all the sequels, which I had seen some of them. And I still Mm -hmm. still love the movie. Still think it's fun. I think Pesci is amazing in it. All the supporting characters are great. And just the whole idea, as ridiculous as it is, is such a fun, unique and like creative idea for like a kid to see. It just makes you think. It's just one of those super fun plots uh, that I love. And I love the sequel too. Yeah, Home Alone and its sequel are great. In, in our house, we watch it every Christmas season I just started watching it with my kid 
who uh, just turned five. So he was four when he watched it for the first time, but he loved it. It's just a really, really fun movie. And the dad just made my top five bad dads list because that dad is just a piece of shit. Like, how do you lose (laughs) your kid on two different holiday getaways? Like, why would you ever do another holiday getaway? I know. Well, they have so many, they have so many kids and like nieces and all that crap. That's does get confusing but yeah that is definitely a bad dad oh. I, I feel like every line in that movie is quotable too like i can you know say the movie from start to finish pretty much oh yeah so fun it's really good and the only reason i think it didn't make my list is because i just talked about it on my top five bad dads episode oh okay it's uh, nice yeah it had it had to make my list i, I was like should it make it it almost made it my honorables i'm like nah, i gotta include it it's it's too good I love it. Personal favorite for sure. And the star making performance of Macaulay Culkin. Uh, He's amazing in this. Everybody in this is great. I agree. I still love Macaulay Culkin to this day. I always root for him to do good. Anytime he pops up in something like I feel like I I just want him to just have a great life and like succeed in every (laughs) way. And it's all started with this. And I watched all of his other things growing up, you know, page master and just a bunch of stuff. So I've loved him since a kid i had the game boy game of this back in the day the home alone game boy game right next to my bed are the like home alone one and two board games Uh, so i see them every single day i love i have a ton of home alone stuff it's great nice i had the doll that you would pull as a kid (laughs) and i think i recently got it back i remember we sold it at a yard sale forever ago and i always wanted to get it back and it has like a super high-pitched uh voice somewhere in my house i have no clue where but i know we had a talk boy when i was little too because of this well because number two two is great my number four is the the second one on my list that is rotten on rotten tomatoes the the other three are uh fresh on rotten tomatoes but people really didn't like this movie when it came out i loved it when it came out i still love it today as uh as ridiculous as it is days of thunder starring tom cruise directed by tony scott Where'd you say your driver's from? California. He's a Yankee? There's nothing I can't do with a race car. We'll see how you do the crowd. We can fix it right here. Now what's it gonna be? You get back in that car, you'll die. I'm not taking anybody's word for what I can do because nobody knows. Days of Thunder, rated PG-13. Starts Wednesday, June 27th at theaters everywhere. Another Bruckheimer film for these guys If you've never seen Days of Thunder, Tom Cruise plays Cold Trickle. He's this NASCAR rookie who has to battle his fear to win the Daytona 500 after he nearly dies in a crash. And along the way, he finds himself in unlikely friendships with both his pit crew chief, Harry Hogg, played by Robert Duvall, and his rival, Rowdy Burns, played by the amazing Michael Rooker, as well as uh, a romance with his neurosurgeon, Dr. Lewicki, played by Nicole Kidman. I think this is where they met. I know the movie is super cheesy, it's formulaic, but it's also a shitload of fun. This is one that I watched last night just to see if it still holds up because I hadn't seen it in in, uh, in a long time. And you know what? Still super fun. If you go into this movie too seriously, you're probably not going to like it. And I think a lot of audiences felt this way, thinking it was going to be like Top Gun 2. When you see Tom Cruise and Michael Rooker having a fucking wheelchair race in the hospital... <laughs> And then racing rental cars and beating the shit out of them. You have to understand that this is not to be taken 100% seriously. The sound design is great. 
The sense of speed is great. It's really well shot by Tony Scott. It's got a great cast. In addition to those that I mentioned, people might not remember, John C. Riley's in here, Randy Quaid, Carrie Elwes. Even, I, I was like, holy shit, is that Margot Martindale? She's in the smallest role in the background. She doesn't even have a speaking part in it. <laughs> and uh, it's got a great Hans Zimmer score. And I'm from California, so I'm from the Bay Area. And we have this place called, I think right now it's called Six Flags, but it used to be Paramount's Great America. And they had this thing there called the Action Theater, and it was basically a ride where you felt like you were in the Days of Thunder car and you were going through a scene and the the seats would move and turn and jerk you around. And I always had a great time on that ride. So I think some of that bleeds into my love for Days of Thunder. But yeah, no apologies for me. Love this movie. And uh, yeah, that's my number four. Wow, that ride sounds so good. I had no (laughs) idea that existed, but I wish it still was around it was really regional i think they had just the one here in the bay area but it came from another theme park somewhere in like the midwest i think but yeah it was a very regional thing that it unless you experienced it you'll never be able to experience it again and i'm sure it's dead by now yeah there's no way people don't even know what that movie is if if (laughs) an amusement park still had that up today like i'd be blown away with them like tearing down stuff that's way more popular like you know, yeah. Back to the Future and stuff doesn't even exist. So if a Days of Thunder thing still existed, that'd be <laughs> mind blowing. I actually have a windbreaker for that movie. Wow, that is a fun movie. My number four. I this I was thinking about. I love this movie. I didn't know where to place it, so I just threw it at number four. But it is Cry Baby. It was a nice, quiet town. Then came. Cry Baby Walker. You're a dead man, Walker! He's not just anti-social. Rock and roll! He was born to be bad. How does it feel to be a juvenile delinquent? It feels good, man. I've never been so happy in my whole life. Johnny Depp, Cry Baby. A film by John Waters, rated PG-13. Starts Friday, April 6th at theaters everywhere. I love John Waters, and I feel like this is kind of sometimes his sense of humor isn't my like absolute favorite and i feel like this he was it has like a perfect balance it's like the one john waters movie besides i guess maybe hairspray that like anyone can like it's weird a good amount of weird but not too too weird and i think the cast is amazing obviously i love johnny depp in it but i'm also a big tracy lords fan she's in it and i don't know it's just that just really fun easy to watch i like that time period too the like greaser like 50s that whole like soundtrack and i think like john waters being a huge fan of that time period he kind of put his own twist on it so i don't know i love it and it kind of marks like i said that turning point from like john waters earlier certain style to his 90s style which i love serial mom i'm a huge serial mom fan Cecil B. Demented is amazing. I also like like Pecker and Hairspray, which I mentioned. So I don't know. I like him a lot. And this movie, I feel like, is super good. Crybaby is one that I've never seen. Oh, shit. Yeah, I've I've seen the VHS when I was working at the video store. I saw the DVD when they, the special edition came out. And I've always been intrigued because of Depp on the cover and his old greaser look. But I've never watched the movie. So I guess I need to check this one out. Oh, definitely check it out. Yeah, I, I, this is one that like is an easy, like accessible John Waters movie that even if you 
don't love his stuff, I feel like there's no way you won't enjoy this one. It's super fun. Well, I love Serial Mom, and I, I like Pepper, that, too. Yeah, Serial Mom is so good. That's my girlfriend's, one of her favorite movies. She loves that, so I watch it often. That movie's super fun. Yeah, it's such a bizarre film. Mm-hmm. All right, speaking of bizarre films, my number three is probably one of the weirdest sequels ever made. This could easily have been number two if I was ranking them by how much I love them and how much I watch them, but the Rotten Tomatoes score is 71%, so it came in at number three. It is Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Hello, everyone. I'm the big new star of the big new movie, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, and here's someone very special to tell you all about it. Boy, this is a really good movie. And there you have it. Unsolicited testimonial from Gizmo himself. So listen to Gizmo. You know he'd never lie to anyone. <laughs> Gremlins 2, the new batch. Here they grow again. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, June 15th at a theater near you. It's about Gizmo multiplying within a skyscraper in New York City, and the new creatures pose a serious threat to the city should they be able to leave the building. So the story revolves around the human character's efforts to prevent any of these things from leaving. This came out six years after Gremlins, and Joe Dante originally did not want to do a sequel to Gremlins. The first one was obviously a huge smash, and they wanted him to do a sequel right away, and he said no. And then six years later, he agreed under the condition that he would have complete control. And he ended up making just this really meta, really weird movie that satirizes sequels in the first film and several times breaks the fourth wall with the audience. There's a great Key and Peele sketch. If you've never seen the Gremlins 2 Key and Peele sketch, highly recommend to watch that. It's really funny about what the writer's room must have looked like on the set of Gremlins 2. And uh, while I certainly don't think it's as good as the first one, I think the first one is just a fucking masterpiece. This one is a big swing that is a whole lot of fun. It starts with a Looney Tunes cartoon that turns into the movie, like... Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are coming up with names for the movie. And then you get this scene in the middle that's really infamous where Hulk Hogan appears as the the film appears to stop working because gremlins are in the projection booth. It's just absolutely amazing. Have you seen Gremlins 2? I'm sure that you have. Yes, I love I watched it again maybe three years ago or something. I, I really love that movie. Super, like you said, inventive and creative and it kind of takes the first one and does like a lot of wacky and just unique things with the gremlins and you know i i love it i haven't seen that sketch though i need to see that sketch that sounds hilarious. oh you yeah i'll send you a link after yes please i i, I don't want to forget to watch that it sounds great have you seen uh gremlins secrets of the mogwai is now on hbo max I saw that it existed. I maybe a week ago I saw it on there, and I have not watched it. Is it actually good? Or? Yeah, it's not bad. I've only seen the first two episodes, um, but it is it it's pretty good. I wouldn't say it's it's not better than so far than one or two, but it's it's a good little animated kind of continuation of the story. Well, really, like the beginning of the story. That's awesome. And then uh, Gremlins 3 has been said to be in production forever. Apparently, Christopher Columbus, writer of Home Alone, or director of Home Alone, rather, um, he has come up with this plot for number three that revolves around the question if all the gremlins come from getting Gizmo wet and feeding his mugwai offspring after midnight, should Gizmo be eliminated? 
So if that ever happens, I'll be sure to check that out. I'm always interested in more of the Gremlins mythology. Well, that sounds like it could be good, depending on how the effects are. The effects need to be good, and then the movie. I, I got to meet Joe Dante one time. I happened to be in Chicago when he did a screening of the, I forget what it is. It's like the early movie that he did that's like, a billion hours long and it he like took a bunch of commercials but i've never heard of that cannot remember the name it was amazing though it, it was like just weird commercials from like when he was growing <laughs> up he just like kind of it was like a compilation movie but i swear it was like six hours long or something crazy wow. but yeah he was at that screening and the thing i had him sign was a gremlins 2 like floppy disc I think I swear it's like a greeting card, something you can make like cards or something on like a, you know, super old computer with floppy disks. (laughs) And like his reaction to seeing that was just like, what the, like, what is this? Like he had no clue what that was, but it was great. And so anytime I look at that, I always remember how fun Gremlins 2 is. All right. Halfway point for you. Yep. My number three, this is probably just this is obvious i couldn't not have it i almost just didn't want to put it on the list because it's so obvious but goodfellas from taxi driver to raging bull he looked inside a world few had ever seen did you know how these people live (laughs) now director martin scorsese brings the underworld to life i don't know if i could live like that rex reed calls goodfellas great entertainment one of scorsese's best films ever big rich Powerful and explosive. Goodfellas, rated R, starts Friday, September 21st at a theater near you. Goodfellas is a masterpiece. It's so easy to watch. I mean, everyone's seen the movie, I feel like. Um, Just, I've gone to the filming locations before. Like, I'm a a big Goodfellas fan. And, uh, I don't know, I, I... I love Casino too. Some of I, weirdly enough, some of my friends think Casino's better. I don't know why, but I feel like those two are both just great gangster movies done by the master Scorsese. Perfect cast. The soundtracks are all amazing. Yeah. Perfect use of music. It's. I've said this about the last thing, but you can show it to pretty much anyone. Like, even people who think, like, 1990 movies are too old. And, like, I have some, you know, like, my girlfriend's sisters and siblings and stuff like that are much younger. And, like, even they like the movie. It's just a timeless classic. Super fun. Great dialogue. So many quotable, amazing scenes that, like, will pop up in my head. The painting. I, I it, There's certain things I can't remember quite right, but I remember the scene with, like, Pesci and like his mom and like the painting in her house or something being like one of the hardest I've laughed like growing up when I first saw that I was like in tears laughing at that it's just a great great scene and of course I mean I love Sopranos and there's a ton of great you know gangster mob type of movies but Goodfellas is one of those perfect examples of it 100% agree and I will save my thoughts on Goodfellas for a little while later Oh wow! Uh, I wonder. Uh, is it your? Uh, is it your number one? I guess we'll find out. Yeah, well, you'll know right now because my number two is La Femme Nikita. One woman with two lives. For this mission, you have a name and code. Josephine. 
cool, cold, warm, hot. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite movies ever is Leon the Professional. Mm-hmm. And I saw that, God, it must have been late 90s because that's when I was working at the video store. And I realized after watching that, I had to seek out what Luc Besson had done before that. So I started looking into his older stuff. I found the big blue, which looked great, but it really wasn't for me. I found I found a copy of Le Dernier Combat, which he made with uh, uh, Jean Renault. And um, I didn't love that one, but I found La Femme Nikita, and goddamn, I love this movie. For those who have never heard of La Femme Nikita, it stars Anne Parlade as a teen criminal who's convicted and sentenced to life in prison for murdering policemen during an armed robbery. And the government fakes her death and then basically says, you can either die or work for us. So they recruit her as this professional assassin. And she goes through a bunch of training and then starts her career as this killer where she struggles to balance her work with her personal life. And uh, God, it's it's just so good. There's so many amazing, unforgettable scenes in here. There's a scene where she graduates, I put that in quotes, from her assassin school and her handler takes her to dinner and he has a gift for her and she opens up the gift and it's a silenced weapon. They're there for the final test. She needs to kill somebody and get away at the restaurant. Uh, it's just a great scene. And then there's the character of Victor the Cleaner, played by Jean Renault. And his scene, he comes in in the last third of the movie, and God, he, he's so good. This movie's been remade a couple of times. It was remade as Black Cat in 1991, which was an unofficial kind of knockoff. It was remade officially in 1993 with Bridget Fonda in Point of No Return. And then there was two TV shows, one in, uh, God, what must have been the late 90s on USA called La Femme Nikita that ran for a couple seasons starring Peter Wilson. And then in 2010, there was a TV show called just called Nikita with Maggie Q. Don't let the subtitle scare you off. It's it's just you're missing out if you haven't seen this great action and really compelling when she starts to have to juggle her personal life and her relationship. Like there's a scene where she gets a a call out of the blue and she has to assassinate somebody in the next building and her husband or, or uh, boyfriend or whatever he is at the time is in the room and she's in the bathroom and he's trying to have a conversation with her and she's trying to also kill this person from a, a distance away it's it's a really really good scene and a, a really fine movie so i would highly recommend la femme nikita and that's my number two which comes in at 89 percent on the tomato meter wow i actually have not seen that Oh, you got to see it. I thought maybe I had seen it, but after you described it, I definitely have not seen it yet. So that's definitely one I'm going to check out soon. The remakes aren't good. The The one with Bridget Fonda is just kind of missing a lot of the heart that the French version has. So I would not watch Point of No Return. I would definitely watch the French one. Nice. Yeah, I will for sure. My number two, Wild at Heart. From the director of Twin Peaks comes this summer's wildest love story, David Lynch's Wild at Heart. Newsweek calls it spectacular and funny. USA Today says it's a must-see. David Lynch's Wild at Heart, rated R, starts Friday, August 17th. For a while, I used to have to kind of, like when Nick Cage would get shit on a lot, this was, you know, early 2000s time period growing up, like I would always have to bring this movie up as like just such an obvious example of a masterpiece with an amazing performance. I feel like now everyone admits Cage has been in so much good shit. Even 
ad- like at the time adaptation was like a newer thing i would re- reference that too and be like how are you still shitting on him but yeah the <laughs> fact lynch did this and he was doing twin peaks at the same time like makes me sick that he's that good because this movie is a masterpiece lynch is the king i love everything about this the cast is amazing i like the it's just the perfect amount of just odd weirdness um the wizard of oz touches are so good like i can't recommend this movie enough like it is so so good and aside from cage there's a great cast too yes oh yeah what willem dafoe the the mom from uh twin peaks uh laura Laura dern Dern, yes who's the woman from blue velvet she has a small role right or like small uh, isabella rossellini right yeah and diane ladd's in there too harry dean stanton oh legend so good yeah he was using like oh yeah just it's such a masterpiece anyone who hasn't seen that has to go see that immediately i love that movie so much yeah if i ever did top five jackets Nicolas cage's snakeskin jacket holy shit oh cage is amazing in that movie and yeah the the whole like i don't know who did the costume design and who i'm sure lynch had you know is told whoever what to pick because he's very particular about stuff like that but uh it's amazing i love all the outfits just the feel of the movies i mean anyone who knows twin peaks and like knows lynch at all knows he always has like a odd feel to it that kind of is nothing like anything else and wild at heart is the perfect example of that i always want to put it as my favorite lynch movie but i do love blue velvet (laughs) yeah and this one is also like like you said about john waters this is one of his more accessible movies it's not like totally way out there that's going to turn people off of that stuff yeah it's the perfect blend like feel like there's enough weird in there to please lynch fans and then there's enough somewhat normal just straightforward story to you know please a normal audience um also i don't know like when i looked at i did like after i made my list i checked on google just i was like 1990s movies or best movies of the 90s or something and like twin peaks kept coming up like which i know it's on letterbox like the first episode since it was like released as like its own finished thing. If somehow that, or I don't know what, exactly what, why that was coming up, but if that somehow counts as a movie that needs to be mentioned too, because I love Twin Peaks. Well, David Lynch made the list. Yes. I'm, and I'm glad that he did. All right. Grand finale time. Look, you know what's coming because I already mentioned it at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes and it would have been my number one regardless. Goodfellas. So good. Yeah, the story of Henry Hill and his life in the mafia covering his relationship with his wife, Karen, and his mob partners, Jimmy Conway and Tommy DeVito. I get chills just hearing Ray Liotta say, as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah, that's... Just to me, that's... God damn, that's so great. And like you said, great cast. Ray Liotta, De Niro, Pesci, Lorraine Bracco as Karen. She's so good in this. Paul Sorvino. And then if you watch it after you've after you haven't watched it for a long time, you start to notice all these character actors sprinkled throughout that you you forgot were in there, like Sam Jackson, Tobin Bell, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Debbie Mazar, Vincent Gallo, like just so many people in there. So good. And I agree, like Martin Scorsese, the master of gangster films, 
Casino is amazing, but I do think Goodfellas is the best gangster film ever made. Like you said, it, there's times when it's super funny, like that painting scene. It's really, really fun, but it's also really terrifying at times. It's got to be one of the most suspenseful final thirds of any film. You see Henry becoming more and more drugged out, more and more paranoid. Who knew stirring sauce could be so exciting? <laughs> uh, you get to see just the rise and fall of this guy who has nothing, then everything, and then you get to see it come crumbling down. De Niro's great, Leota's great, but fucking Joe Pesci in this movie absolutely steals the show as this... Pesci is insane. Yeah, unhinged. And the, the scene where where he becomes a uh, where he becomes made is just so expertly done. I'm not gonna say anything more. If you've never seen this movie, I I really urge you to watch it. It is a five star movie in my opinion. And uh, you you mentioned the soundtrack, but God, there's so many great. There's no score in the film, just so many great songs. He's the king of picking amazing songs, even though he reuses a lot of the songs every time. I'm like he's the god <laughs> like i can yep. hear give me shelter or any rolling like he's <laughs> all of his soundtracks are off the charts and if you buy the soundtrack to this if you went in 1990 and bought the soundtrack to this it didn't even have songs on the soundtrack that were so good in the movie like give me shelter was not on the soundtrack sid vicious track not on the soundtrack oh, george harrison harry nielsen there's so many good songs in this is this your favorite scorsese movie uh yeah yeah without a doubt uh, yeah, mine is Raging Bull, but this is so close. Like, I love both of those movies so much. I love Raging Bull, but I to me, Goodfellas is more rewatchable oh, than yeah, Raging okay. Bull because mm. it's so exhausting watching Raging Bull and like dealing with De Niro's such a fucking asshole. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. Definitely more rewatchable. This is the movie that like, well, like I want. I, I guess like a lot of people i know are like big into boxing too that's another reason like raging bull comes up more sure and like i rewatched that recently but yeah i agree goodfellas you can pop that on at any time and everyone's happy <laughs> yeah i do love I, I do love uh raging bull that was number one on my top five boxing movies list back in december nice grand finale time for you this is probably gonna like annoy some people that i'm putting this like above all the movies i put it but this is a favorites list, and I feel like the movie is a straight-up masterpiece beyond a masterpiece. House Party. Oh, dope. There's a party tonight at Plague. I mean, Peter's house. Can I go? Oh, no. Every little step you take will be around his bedroom tonight. Yo, y'all, look who fell into the gig. Quit that fire. I'm going to kill him. How much more trouble can I get into? I wouldn't do that just yet. Rated R. See it Friday, March 9th at a theater near you. House Party is so, so good. I feel like people might think I'm like joking that it's so good, but it's a masterpiece. It's the most fun thing possible. The chemistry, obviously, of Kid and Play. It's the perfect just party movie, which I love that genre. I love Project X. I don't know. Like, I always talk that movie up because uh, a lot of people shit on it. That's super fun. But House Party, so good. Great soundtrack. Kid and Play are amazing. Super funny, supporting uh, cast. His dad is the goat. Every line he has oh, is yeah. amazing. The bullies are hilarious. I feel like just the dance scene and the rap battle scene. 
I've probably watched those hundreds and hundreds of times. I obviously know every word. I I probably know every dance step that they do in it, but I've never tried. Like that movie, I can watch that endlessly. If I'm in a bad mood, that's like one of my go-to pop this on. So fun. It's like the perfect kind of coming. Wait, what does he does he say like straight out the 80s right into the 90s i swear that might be one of the lines in it but i was just about to say like it's the perfect like leaving the 80s like hip-hop behind it, it, it like has a little touch of the 80s but it's like just such an early 90s movie the fashion every line like the slang that they're using at the time it's so fun like just a masterpiece yeah, I absolutely love House Party. I totally forgot that this came out in 1990. This would have been on my honorable mentions list. I watched this probably probably a year ago, maybe a little bit over a year ago for the first time in a long time. And it's just so fun. It's so colorful. And Kid and Play both have really distinct personalities. And I remember thinking when it was over, God, they should have continued making movies outside of the House Party series. Yes, I love class They were in a couple. Yes. Yeah, love, class act. Yes. And I watch, I'm a big House Party fan. Even part five, I remember I mentioned this sometimes, but I was in college at the time when that piece of shit came out and I went to Walmart at midnight. I remember I posted a picture, I think, on Instagram or something. I had the House Party five DVD, like a two liter of Coke and like a bag of beef jerky. I'm like, this is about to be the best night of my life. <laughs> like, so embarrassing, but I'm a huge house party fan in general. Um, like I said, I love party movies. Even the new house party that came out this year, I thought was amazing, actually. I'm not, I'm not even Oh, joking. I haven't seen the remake. Oh, you need... Uh, I guess it is a remake yeah but like kid and play uh, have a small part in it and it's so funny so good seeing that in the theater i think it was just me and my friend in the theater alone i can't even remember if there's anyone else but one of the top theater going experiences like my jaw hurt from just smiling so much mainly because i love the first one so i'm just like yeah the new one is great and like it was the lebron stuff was funny i, I actually think lebron is funny in general but like it also just reminded me of how much i love the first one too the whole time like you i'm a, I'm a big hip-hop fan and when you watch rap battle scenes in a lot of movies if you're a hip-hop fan most of the time you roll your eyes at these like oh these are definitely written by people who don't listen to hip-hop but mm -hmm. the the rap battle in this movie i was really impressed by the wordplay oh it's so so good i listened to it just on my phone like just like i play that in the car all the time i also like the song that plays uh, like during the dance scene of uh great scene too full yeah that scene is so good um martin lawrence is amazing in the movie too by the way i forgot to mention him <laughs> yeah he's the dj yes and i love everything he's saying during the rap battle and when he's doing the switch thing like when they're dancing like after the dance scene when they're all like kind of dancing with different people and then you're supposed to switch partners and like he <laughs> leaves uh kid or whatever i forget wait is the kid or play he leaves one of them with like some not so attractive people and is like messing with them it's so funny god that movie's great that needs a good blu-ray i need like a four disc like gigantic set yes back in the day i used to write i had like a 
fake like outline to like a script that like for a house party sequel during the time period that like i forget if it was before part five or not but i I have so many ideas i wish they would like just do a new uh house party where kid and play are more major characters i think it could work and they have kids and oh like that'd be great yeah and the one has to like go out of town and like kid has to watch like his like (laughs) the other dude's kids and i don't know i could just imagine so much hilarious stuff i feel like it could even work in like 10 or more years too because that age would be funny it's like they're so out of time it would be like around the age kind of of like his dad in the actual movie just feeling like an older kind of like funny out of touch guy and i don't know it would just work and having to having to trap the kid inside with the technology you have today versus, yes uh, exactly you know, then. not being able to stop <laughs> the party and then kind of like wanting to join in too like at the same time it's like <laughs> that would be, and then they have to they come back early from their trip and find like this whole party going on it's kind of like a battle mover sold <laughs> like it'd be just yeah. so good and then you can have kid and play do a you know a rap battle against the youngsters or something show them how it's really done oh yeah that'd be so I mean, like people are probably listening to this and being like, this would be complete shit. But like to me, this would be so good. Like just thinking about it. Like I can't, you need, you need to message me the second you watch the new uh, house party. I can't wait to hear your reaction. They're like hit and play his part. It's so funny. I will. I will. And I, I forgot to mention the dad coming in and just straight roasting people. Oh, he's hilarious. So, so fun. I think I watched like a documentary about, um, like uh some comedy like the comedy store in Mm -hmm. i forget what the i have trouble remembering names and shit but yeah i think it was about like the comedy store would do like a night um and it was all like african-american like comedians and like he was a heavy like the way people talked about him like with so much respect i forget his name now but he was hilarious and like he was great in house party but I think they found yeah. him for that movie by seeing a like act that he did at the comedy store, the producer of House Party. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that, but I swear that's what happened. We got some great movies on this list. We left off some heavy hitters, so we're going to talk about some honorable mentions here in a second. But let's recap the list for the listeners, and I will start with mine first. At number five, I had Hard to Kill, starring Steven Seagal. At number four, I had Days of Thunder. At number three, I had Gremlins 2, The New Batch. At number two, I had La Femme Nikita. And at number one, I had Martin Scorsese's gangster epic, Goodfellas. Nice. Good list. All right. Number five, I had Home Alone. Masterpiece. Uh, Number four, Cry Baby. Number three, Goodfellas. Number two, Wild at Heart. And number one, Best movie ever made, House Party. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing lists all around. Now, obviously, we can only put five on this list, and I could have easily done a top 10 or a top 15. What were some of those honorable mentions that haven't been mentioned yet that that could have made your list if it was longer? I had two honorable mentions. One, like, it's funny, too. Like, people are going to hear my honorable mention and be like, "Uh, this is better than every single thing on your list. (laughs) Dreams, the Kurosawa movie. I uh, mm. love that movie. I'm a huge Kurosawa fan. I remember when they did Criterion did that huge set. I was in college and it was I watched with a friend 
it was a snowstorm in town. I think school was like canceled and we watched everything we hadn't seen and dreams blew me away. Just like a billion of his other movies. It's just another masterpiece. Uh, and also like just the way he uses color and different things. It was like cool just to see him slightly more of a modern movie by him still at the top of his game. I haven't seen dreams. Ooh, that you need to watch that. So good. Yeah, I'm a big Kurosawa fan. I, I like you. I love Seven Samurai and uh, most of his other movies that I've seen. So I got to check out Dreams. Yes, great movie. Uh, so, all right. So Dreams. Anything else that was on your honorable? Oh, mention okay. List? Uh, Metropolitan. That's the Whit Stillman movie. Um, I I worship Last Days of Disco. I think that's one of my absolute favorite movies ever. And I love him as a director. I think some people don't really love him because it's kind of like a little bit pretentious, like uppity, like, I don't know. But Metropolitan, I find, is just super funny. I'm a big Chris Eigman fan, the actor he uses in a lot of his movies. And I don't know, for some reason, just the way he writes dialogue and the way, like, he has the actors, like, delivering it and stuff, it's like just super enjoyable like I have like a smile on my face the entire time and he like pokes fun too at these like yuppie-ish like pretentious kind of rich asshole-ish people while still you know <laughs> I don't know it's just a good movie that's another one that I haven't seen so I gotta check that out too oh damn yeah definitely watch both of those they're great yeah so I got those two and Cry Baby on my list now that I gotta check out nice um a couple of the honorable mentions that have not yet been mentioned. So this, all four of these movies were on my list at one point as I was whittling things down. The first was Die Hard 2, which I still think is great. A lot of people think it's a lesser Die Hard movie. I love it. Uh, King of New York with Christopher Walken. Amazing, amazing movie that uh, I just haven't seen it in a long time. So I didn't know I actually how watched, it held up. I watched it like a few weeks ago, I think. I liked it. I didn't yeah. love love it. I think it's a good movie for sure, but yeah, that's it's not one of my absolute favorites. But yeah, I liked it, and Christopher Walken's amazing in it. Uh, yeah, that's what I remember about it, and I need to revisit it to see how how much I love it. This next one, if I had rewatched it, I can almost guarantee it would have made my list. But I haven't seen it in like a decade, and that's Total Recall with mm-hmm. Arnold. Yes. Fantastic movie, but I haven't seen it in so long that it would have been unfair to be able to talk about it. I'm like halfway through the like Arnold documentary. Have you watched that yet? The Netflix one? No, I haven't. Oh, okay, yeah, it's good so far. It's really good. And Total Recall oh. is a great movie, but it didn't make the list. But yeah, I do love that. I had it on tape as a kid. Like I mentioned, a lot yeah. of these, my parents had a lot of these movies. So I would, you know, sneak off and watch uh, Total Recall. <laughs> yep. I got the the 4K release of it, and I just haven't gotten a chance to to check it out again. And then uh, the last one that is on my list is another Arnold Arnold film that was on my list up until like an hour before we recorded, and that's Kindergarten Cop. Oh, and okay. I just love Kindergarten Cop. I think it's so much fun. I love it too, and it's like on my list. Seriously, I'm within the next week. I was gonna rewatch it. Like I haven't seen it in forever, but I remember loving it. And I want to rewatch it. Yeah, in terms of quotable movies, it's one of the most quotable movies. There are so many lines from that that I just his interaction with the kids just so f- fucking funny. Yeah, I'm like in the mood right now for like 
family movies kind of from that time that just like I haven't seen in forever. Like I rewatched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids recently. Nice. And that uh, dude made my top five bad dads list too. Oh, really? Yes, he is <laughs> a horrible dad. Horrible, horrible dad. Bad husband, bad dad. <laughs> yeah, come on, Wayne Zielinski. The neighbor is a terrible dad too, though. He's really bad. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah, I just rewatched uh, Problem Child as well in the oh, same nice. vein. Isn't that 19, is that 1992? It is, it is 1990. Yeah. yeah, I watched it for this list. Does not hold up. Oh, really? I haven't seen that in, <laughs> since I was a kid, probably, so I should rewatch it, even though you... Even though it doesn't hold up, but it seems like it's it's still it's amusing as you're watching. Like it's a different kind of amusing watching it as a parent than it is when you watch it when you're young. It is a completely different experience. Not a like it's still on my shelf. It's not a bad movie, but it's definitely not one of my favorites from '90. Yeah, some of the other like I wanted to watch Little Giants again. I haven't seen that. Oh yeah, I watched The Big Green. That one wasn't so good. <laughs> that one was a little, that was kind of like just a weaker little giants. I want to rewatch Angus. I remember liking Angus. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm no just, good release of Angus as far as I remember. What'd you say? I don't think there's a good release of Angus. Oh, really? Yeah, I think you're right. There should be like, it seems like a shout uh, type of movie, maybe. Yeah, shout select. Yeah, the didn't they do heavyweights, a Blu-ray of that or something? I forget who did that. Did they? I'm still rocking the the uh, DVD version of Heavyweights. Oh, really? Yeah, that guy could have been a top five bad dad in there. There's definitely a good-ish Blu-ray of it. I, I think I remember a new Keenan interview. This could have been like 10 years ago now, but there's a decent Blu-ray of it, I'm pretty sure. All right, I'll have to, have to snag that too. Yes. Dan Kinnam, dude, awesome list, awesome topic. I want to get people to where you want them to find you online. So uh, obviously you can buy VH Shitfest titles on Vinegar Syndrome. There's still a couple of, I think there's like, as we record this, and this isn't coming out for a bit, but as we record this, there's like 600 copies left of Justice Ninja Style with the slipcover. Yes, everyone go get that. I feel like that's a movie that's impossible to hate pretty much. It, it would be so hard to not have fun with it if you like you don't even have to be a fan of like shot on video or like low budget stuff it's just a fun cheesy but in the best way martial arts movie mid 80s perfect time period i'm still blown away that it didn't have any kind of release just because how fun it is it, it's super obscure but yeah that movie is great and i was happy to do that the release is packed with extras too. It's two yeah. discs, so everyone go grab that. Go grab that. Grab the corn shucker. Yes, grab corn shucker. Grab all. I think what do we have? Four out now, and I don't know four when out, this yeah. comes. That we're gonna have something July first. That's our next release, so um, everyone can wait for that. That's another one I'm super happy about. It's another two discs. And it's All right. jam packed with stuff. So everyone, looking forward to that one. Yes, I'm very happy about that. Uh, everyone, go get that if you're listening to this after uh, July 1st. Yeah, this will this will air after July 1st. So uh, whatever that title is, I'll put it in in the uh, in the intro or the outro once we find out what that is. So you can be excited about it. Awesome. 
I'm very happy about that. Anywhere else you want people, you want to direct people to see your things? You want them to uh, hit you up on social media or if you want them to go to a certain website, now's the time. Yeah, you can follow on Instagram, V-H-S-H-I-T-F-E-S-T. And it's pretty much that on everything, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Uh, you can, I'll post VHS finds on there, but also we did like Justice Ninja style action figures and you could only, oh, those tight. weren't on the Vinegar Syndrome site. You could only get them if you were following us on social media. Um, we got a bunch of other stuff coming down. Some stuff that won't be on the Vinegar site. So if you want to stay up to date on that, definitely give it a follow. Um, and if you want to add my personal page on Facebook, Dan Kinnem, K-I-N-E-M, post a bunch of annoying film opinions on there and random other stuff. So I was going to mention really quick before we get off, you mentioned worst movie of 1999 in the email. So I had, a oh, worst, yeah. I had a worst movie. Well, my most hated movie. This is going to piss people off. Probably close up. It's the Criterion movie. I, I forget what country it is. Um, I think the director's name, I don't even know how you pronounce it. He did Taste of Cherry also. And uh, I think it's like Abbas Karastami maybe or something like that. I hate that movie for some reason. It's shit and everyone loves it. So maybe the, maybe me mentioning this will get a ton of people to hate on me. But maybe there will be a few people that come out of nowhere and agree, hopefully. Um, I know it has a super high rating on Letterboxd, so there's probably no one that uh, also hates it. But yeah, that movie, for I don't like that director for some reason. I feel like he's super overrated and just makes really boring, uh, just kind of nothing happens movies with no real style or anything. Uh, so yeah, this was a tough one because there are a lot of bad movies from 1990, but I think the one that I I really hate and a lot of people love is The Grifters with uh, John Cusack. Seen that, so I guess I'll stay away from it. It's one of these movies that is like pretty highly regarded by people, so I wouldn't take my opinion as the gospel on it, but for some reason it left me super cold and the ending is really, really dark too. Uh, it just, to me, it didn't really earn the tone at the end throughout the film, but who knows? Maybe I watched it in the wrong, uh, in the wrong mood. I probably need to go back and revisit it cause it's got a great cast, but yeah, it just did not hit for me. That sometimes happens. Maybe I'll rewatch uh, close up <laughs> psych. No, I'm kidding. maybe one day I'll watch it again. <laughs> Doesn't sound like one I'd be interested in. If you want just to fall asleep, seriously, like it's the perfect movie to just knock you out. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. Links to everything Dan Kinnam and VH Shitfest will be in the show notes. So please check that out. Go buy some of the products from Vinegar Syndrome, especially the new one that's out. You know, you got to act quick if you want those slip covers. And they are not just a piece of cardboard on top. They are really high quality things. And I'm sure I'll be talking about whatever comes out in July in my Vinegar Syndrome corner for July. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. I had a blast. Same. Thank you for having me. Okay, listeners, what would have been on your list? Top five films of 1990. Please let me know what we missed at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram, or over at the Cinematics Facebook page, or send me a good old-fashioned email, Force5Podcast at gmail.com, which you can find a link to at Force5Podcast.com. 
Links to everything Force 5 and my boy Dan Kinnam V8 Shitfest is going to be in the show notes, so please go support our guests. Let them know you heard about them on the Force 5 podcast. All the links, social media, you know, all that stuff. I try to make it as easy as possible to support our guests. And of course, hey, please support me. Tell anybody you can, any way you can about the show. Review the show. Tell your friends about Force 5. Bring up a fucking list topic while you're drinking beers. I don't care. Just let people know about the show uh, and follow me and interact with me on social media. This is a one-man show. Those very free, very simple things let me know that I should keep doing this thing. The Force 5 theme song comes courtesy of Nate Spears and the Top 5 List Bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some amazing films from 1990.